Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. and welcome back to the Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And this week's episode is sponsored by Barcast Audio. Now, I'm sure that you guys have listened us talk about Barcast before, but we're here again to tell you about it again because we think Barcast is awesome. So Barcast are podcasts like audio lessons that will help you basically learn the law while you're on the go. So it's great to study for exams. It's great if you're preparing for the bar, which is coming up pretty soon as in July, I'm pretty sure. So you guys should hop on that. And make sure that if you are interested in using Barcast Audio, that you go to BarcastAudio.com and use our code LWLS to get 10% off your MBE pack. And that includes the audio lessons, essay workshops, and attack sheets for all seven MBE subjects. And if you're like, Haley, what are the MBE subjects? Go to his Instagram, check out the infographic, and you can find out all the information that you need right there. We also want to give a shout out to one of our other partners for this episode, Barbary Law Preview. So for you guys that have just started to apply to schools or are hearing back from schools and you're going to start in the fall, Barbary Law Preview is something that you definitely have to look into ASAP. It's basically a course that touches on all core classes right before you start school so you have a leg up against your peers. Yeah, and we just had a listener ask us about Barbary Law Preview and if we really recommended it. And I want to say yes, I kicked myself for not doing a class like this before I started law school because I had no background in legal. I had no idea what some of these subjects were and what a tort was and negligence. I remember mispronouncing it. So yes, if you can get any kind of understanding or knowledge prior to going to law school, we totally recommend it. And this is a great way to do it. Make sure and use LWLS 100 at Barbary Law Preview to get $100 off your course. It's going to be awesome, you guys. You're not going to regret it. Make sure to visit lawpreview.barbary.com. Well, you guys, let's dive in. (laughs) I just feel like it's always funny when I say that, right? Let's dive into our topic. We are just kind of talking about a few things that we've covered on our social media the past few weeks. You know, we've had a few interviews and we've been working a lot. So we're going to talk about our jobs, the curve, and that comment that we saw from a listener about what our professor said. So with that being said, let's dive in. All righty, guys. 
So a few weeks ago, we got our grades back and we posted on Instagram about it. We also had a podcast episode about it. So a lot of you asked what the curve is. Now, some of you were 1Ls and you've had, were already got, getting your grades back and you didn't know what the curve was or you were pre-law students and you were asking, what is the curve? Can you please explain it? What even is it? So we're going to give you a quick explanation of how the curve works, what the curve is, so you are better prepared in understanding your grades when you get them back, or maybe if you've already gotten them back, now you can kind of gauge where you're at. So how the curve works. It's a little complicated the first time, I think, to get it explained to you. And honestly, I might butcher explaining this, so just DM me if you don't understand. But it basically goes like this. So every school has a GPA set at a curve, like their curve set at a specific GPA, okay? So at one school, school A, maybe it's a 2.7. At school B, it's a 3.0, okay? So those are going to be the median grades. So like that means the majority of the people in that class are going to end up with around a 2.7 or 3.0 GPA, depending on your school. So let's give an example like contracts one, okay? You're in contracts, you just took your exam, and you get your grade back, and you see that you made a B, okay? (laughs) Just a B. So that means you're probably right at the curve. And depending on what your GPA is, right, like you'll see where you're on the curve. So it goes on a bell curve. So at the top of the bell is going to be that average number. And then on the sides of the bell, it's either going to get lower or higher, right? All right. So that means that half of the people in your graduating class or in your one on class are going to be above that 2.7 or below the 2.7. And like I said, the majority of you guys are going to be in that little threshold of the 2.7 threshold. When you say majority, like, what do you think percentage-wise that is? Like, do you think it's, like, 40% and then the other, like, 20-20, that's 80, so 30-30 maybe is on the other side, maybe something like that? So there's going to be a large chunk, though. I guess that's just kind of the point I'm trying to make is that that's a large percentage, but you have to recognize that that top of the curve and where they set it is a lot of people. That's why it's the majority, you know? So here's a little visual for you visual learners, even though you're listening to this right now. So I have this little chart in front of me. And if you can picture a bell curve, right, with a C minus a C plus at that very top. So that would be like a, what, two point. Seven, pretty much GPA curve for some schools. So it says here that right at that middle point, 34% on each side of that are going to be in that C minus to C plus range. So 68% of the people are going to be in that range. Mm -hmm. And then 14% would get the Bs, 2% would get the As, 14% would get Ds, and then 2% of people would get Fs. So the same amount of people who are getting As are getting Fs, okay? And so that really depends, too, on how your school operates. Like, I know at some schools they have certain amount of As they can give, and 
certain amount of Fs they have to give. Um, I know some professors choose not to fail students. It just really depends, right? But the whole debacle about the grade is, I mean, the curve is, is the curve fair? Does it really reflect your grades accurately, right? When if you're making all Bs at one school and you have a 2.7, but then you're making Bs at another school and you have a 3.0, there's a huge difference on your transcript when you go to apply to jobs from the kid who goes to school B over A when you're learning the same exact thing. And the issue is, is that whenever your school sets that median at a certain range and it differs from school to school, it makes it really hard to transfer. It makes it really hard on you to compare your GPA and your rank to everyone else around you in other schools in other states meaning when you apply for jobs. So it does hinder you, in a sense, when your school sets the curve at a lower GPA than at other schools where they set it at a higher GPA. So I just wanted everyone to know that. So if you go back to our Instagram posts and you scroll through and you see what other people have listed, you can kind of get the understanding now with the explanation of how this all works and how this might affect you. And if you're picking a law school, you can go figure out that information stat. On our Instagram story, we asked you guys what your GPA curves were set at at your schools. And they ranged from like 2.5 to 3.3 or 3.2. So they really do drastically differ at different schools. I know we got some messages where people were saying that lower ranked schools tend to give their um, students lower curve, like lower curve sets because it's harder to get those grades. It is harder to transfer out if you have a lower GPA. So if you are going to a lower ranked school and you're discouraged about your grades right now and you see that your curve is set at something that it seems like it's not going to move you forward, and it can feel like that, um, just know that if you were taking these classes somewhere else, you probably would be making better grades. I always like to um, have this one example of the summer classes that I took last summer, where I took a, a class from a um, from a different college, a, a very nice college. It was like an online class, right, that we could get credit for. And that was one of my best grades. And I genuinely think it's because the curve at our school is like set super weird and Everyone could be making better grades if it wasn't set that way. So just a little conspiracy. I know so many of you guys are on board with this little conspiracy that we have. And honestly, we'd like to talk about it more. So if you ever want to chat about the curve, let us know. So we've been in school for going on about four weeks. And the new year, we're almost in February, so it's been about a month. So we have both been working for basically three to four weeks, basically since the new year. And we wanted to share with you guys what we've been up to, what it's been like, just kind of open up the conversation about jobs and legal internships and things like that. So with that being said, 
I know that Samantha, you haven't really got to talk about what you've done. And I'm really curious and I know all the listeners are as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your job? I know that the last time we chatted about it, you just said that you're going to go visit. So what's been going on since? Okay. So I'm still at my job, (laughs) which is good news. Um, So I guess I can just give you guys a little rundown of what my week looks like and then kind of just get into what I do. Basically, I go into work on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On Mondays and Wednesdays, I have classes. So in the mornings, I'll just read, work out, kind of get what I need to get done for the day, go to class at noon, and then right after class, go to work from like 2 to 5, 5.30. So that's kind of my schedule. And then on Fridays, I go in for the whole day. So I'm working at a criminal defense firm, like I've said before, and honestly, it's not that different from like working at the PD's office, except for the fact that now our client, the clients, obviously they pay you now, (laughs) you know, that's big difference. So things run differently when there's like money involved. And then, um, I just, in the, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So I've been just doing a bunch of I guess paralegal type work. Um, I get to help draft things. I get to do some research. I get to do a lot of client interaction because right now, since I am the only Spanish speaking person at my firm, I get a lot of the Spanish clients. They're kind of, you know, in air quotations, my clients, because, you know, I can't have clients right now because I'm still a student. So I take a lot of client calls, um, you know, potential new clients, basically just learning how a firm works. Because like I said, I was at the PD's office last summer and it runs a lot differently than when you're at a private place of employment, you know? So what do you mean by that? I mean, you say different, but... And you say with money involved, but what does that mean exactly? Like, you know, help us understand what that means. So at the PD's office, well, I was also in the juvenile division, so that's a lot different. But it was just, I didn't get to see what was going on behind the scenes as much. And I think they just kind of handle it on their own. The interns just kind of get to shadow. They don't really get to do much, like, substantive work. and. And you weren't getting paid at the PD's office, and now I'm getting paid, so like, I actually have to do stuff, you know, which I like. I like doing all the stuff. And then there's another aspect to like when you have criminal clients, a lot of times they don't want to pay you. And then I know if you guys have taken professional responsibility, um, you know, if you don't get paid, like, you, you can drop clients and stuff, and so. Of course, you don't want to have to ever drop clients, but a lot of times we have to talk to clients about, you know, that they need to pay their bills and like stuff like that. And obviously I never had to deal with any of that at the PD's office because no one's paying anybody, you know. Um, But yeah, it's just, I think it's good um, people interaction, even if it's on the phone most of the time because of COVID. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, 
Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. So what would you say has been like one of your favorite parts so far? I would say one of the... I, see, I just don't know how much I can like say just because they're like ongoing criminal matters. But one of the projects that I had was to translate and look at a bunch of interview videos of um, one of our clients. And basically, because no one had looked at it, that new Spanish prior, like I blew open like a huge issue in the case about like whether they had gotten their Miranda rights like read to them and they hadn't (laughs) so you know stuff like that is like interesting and i you know that's really cool yeah and i mean that's the idea right is that you're learning about the law and you're experiencing we're scratch that not really experiencing you are experiencing but you're learning the law but you're seeing it in day-to-day life play out and it's so helpful right and I think that that's cool that that's one of your favorite parts because that's you being a lawyer, right? Is blowing open the case, finding legal issues to argue, and being able to help your attorney and your firm be successful. I mean, that's awesome. I'm really excited for you. Yeah. So I think if fingers crossed I get my LLI um, soon, I can actually be even more involved, um, like actually doing stuff in court and actually learning how to do that because I still feel like when I go watch court that I'm like what's going on like how am I going to learn how like when to object and all this kind of stuff that you just learn by watching and Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for that part of my internship yeah and you 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 learn a lot of that through practice you know so being able to be a licensed legal intern and LLI will be perfect to learn and practice all those things that you need to before you go out on your own and have, you know, your name on the case and your bar number on the case, right? Because that's the perks of being a licensed legal intern or, you know, in Texas, you can get a temporary trial card. You can do these different things uh, while you're still a young baby law student attorney, right? In that I like to think of it as purgatory before you pass the bar. You can 
practice and learn underneath the supervision of another attorney. So they are willing to take the heat for you and they're willing to train you and help you, which is so important in our profession. That's why it's called practice because it's a lot of practice. So with that being said, what would you say are you most excited for? You know, you said about the core and, you know, getting in there and getting your feet wet. You know, you said that it was a little nerve wracking about the objections and like the procedural parts, right? I totally understand that. But what would you say are you most excited for to get your LLI now knowing what you can and can't do? Well, knowing what I can and cannot do now that I had to take the LLI test yesterday, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think I'm just most excited to be the person talking in court for the first time. I think I'm going to have to hype myself up. I'm probably going to be so nervous, but it's nice knowing that the attorney, like they're literally watching over you. You can't do anything without them, like literally right there. Um, I mean, you can in certain situations, but like if it was like a felony or like a misdemeanor, which is what we mostly work with, like if it's anything big going on, like the attorney has to be there and they'll be watching. Um, but I'm just excited to, I guess, talk for the first time, not talk for the first time, but you know what I mean? Like talk in court for the first time and like have authority of some sort. So I knew what you meant. (laughs) Like, it's like literally like my first words in court, like everything. It's just interesting because when we describe a lot of the things that we do for the first time, it, it we do sound like babies. So it's interesting that that term baby lawyer has progressed out of that because you're taking your first steps in court, your first words, your first everything, right? Turning in your first brief, like everything feels like a first in the beginning of your career. And being an LLI and being able to do that is nice because it allows you to have some overshadowing um, people help you and not be so alone out there. I think that that's just so beneficial and I'm really excited for you and for you to have your, say your first words in court. <laughs> um, just a side note. <laughs> I feel like every episode I have like 14 side notes, <laughs> but side note the other day when I was in court, I was telling Haley that one of the attorneys looked so young, like not 15, but I have done saying like he looked 15, but he didn't look 15, but he looked very young. And when I saw him in court, I was like, oh my gosh, like that's going to be me. And he looks like my age. And like, that could be me right now. Like it was freaky. And I was like, oh, that's literally like next year I take the bar and it all started hitting me. And I was like, how is this guy so young like (laughs) out there? And then it just, I don't know. It was just weird. And I'm excited. And I'm yeah. sure a lot of other people feel that way too, the way you, that you just described, you know, <laughs> anxiety mixed with like excitement mixed with like unknowing. I think that that's the part, right? You just, and nerves. I think the nerves that you feel when you see someone and you know, like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do that. And like, it's out of your comfort zone, you know, and, and, and it's out of everyone's comfort zone. Putting yourself out there and putting on a show, as I like to call it, is not usually an easy thing to do. So I mean, I would be worried if you were like, I could totally do that. Like, I'm not nervous at all. Like, okay. The thing is, we definitely know people who would say that and then they would get up there and like. And they're shaking in their boots. Exactly. No, it's totally true. And I think that's something we we try to grow here is just honesty about the true feelings that we feel, especially when when you do the nerve wracking stuff, Um, like speaking in court and arguing in court. 
that's the perks of doing mock trial and moot court and stuff because it kind of allows you to shake off those beginning butterflies because it's regardless of any time you do something for the first time, you get nervous and you get those butterflies in your stomach and they're good for you and they're good for the situation. But whenever you've done it a million times and you've been a prosecutor for 10 years, you know, things just come naturally. And that's what we hope to be. And that's what we aspire to be, right? Is whenever we look back on this and think like, oh my gosh, remember when we were so nervous and we talked about our first words, like think of what we are now. And that's what I just keep in the back of my mind is like, that's what I'm vying to be. And it's interesting though, because Sometimes whenever you do that, I think you might miss out on the journey of getting there and, and the scary parts and you don't, and you don't lavish in the times when you really mess up because it's going to happen. You know, you're going to say something wrong. You're going to forget to object. You're going to drop the ball. And the whole point about it is, is to learn from it and pick it back up and keep going. So even if that nerves and the scariness of like, oh my God, I could mess this up. Like, yes, you could, but we can always fix it. You know? That's a, that's a good feeling, especially with your LLI, yeah. you know, with another attorney there. Yeah, sure. That's the positive. And, and learning as much as you can in the year and a half that you have left before or almost, you know, I don't really know, maybe like a year and three fourths because <laughs> we have to take the bar, you know? That's so, true. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited for you. I mean, basically the gist of it is if you guys are planning on going to law school, all are in law school right now, like get as much experience in any form that you can. So you, you know, like you said, you're not going out there just not knowing anything. Like we're all babies anyway, so might as well start now and getting a little bit of experience. So you're genuinely like not walking into this whole thing three years after you start law school and not knowing anything. So Haley, you're still at your firm. You've been there for what, two months now? Pretty much. Basically, like a month and a half. I started around like December 15th. So. Yeah, about a month and a half. So how's it going? How do you, do you still love it? How's employment law in general? Like, what are your feelings now that you've been there for a month and a half? So I do really, really like it. There's something though that I want to like say, because I feel like (laughs) it's something that young people in jobs like never hear. And maybe there's a misconception. I know it's for me, but not every day is the same and not every day is the best day ever. And you're going to like learn a ton. I think that sometimes we go into jobs and we expect so much and our expectations are very high and we want all these things out of it to be fulfilled and to see the next big whatever. But in reality, that just doesn't happen. And I remember at one of my very first jobs in postgrad, a female was just like, I'm just happy to be here and get out of bed. And I know we've posted about that online uh, and on Instagram and, you know, just for motivation, because it's true. Like I got out of bed today, like that maybe that's the best that I can do. But with that same idea in hand is that some people at your firm, like your lawyers, I mean, and your attorneys, they're just there for the day. You know, they have other stuff going on and you know, maybe those are the days that you can step up and step in. And other days, people people just aren't there. People have stuff going on outside of the office and you're just there to answer the phones. And so sometimes you might feel like, oh, when am I going to get to see the next big mediation or the next big hearing in court? 
but in reality, like I learned the most when I said and answer the phones, you know, because I talked to actual people trying to get claims, um, excuse me, trying to get a lawyer to help them with their claims. So I learn about people's fact patterns, basically. And if that even is a case, you know, and that's some of the most important stuff, I think, because so many people I, as a lawyer outside of law school in practice are going to be like, hey, like these things happen to me. Like, what do you think? And you're going to have to be like, no, or yes, let me refer you to someone else. And I've learned so much about different attorneys in the area and what people recommend of certain people. And it's the interesting things like that, that over the past, you know, month that I've learned that aren't even law related, that I can tell are not always fun. And I, at the time, I'm not always like super excited about it. But when I look back on it throughout the day or, you know, now, I think, you know, that's actually really helpful. And I do learn a lot in those situations because just like you said, when you have client intakes and you talk to clients, it's, you learn a lot. And I come to realize that law school teaches you nothing about client relations. Um, Being a public relations person, relationships are one of the first things that I think about, Um, whether it be a corporate relationship and with the firm's relationship or whether it's with myself and the client, you know, and It's very interesting how clients need to be handheld. And well, what does that mean, Haley? It means that they need to, they call a lot. They're asking a lot of questions. They're wanting to know what's going to happen and when every single day, every single hour, it feels like. And whenever you're a practicing attorney, you have 8,000 things going in 8,000 directions, meaning you have cases everywhere. And you don't always have time to hold someone's hand and walk them through the situation. So patience is a virtue, right? And it's so, so, so important to be patient with your clients, especially on the phone, in person. Uh, I had to do what I consider a little bit of babysitting and helping client understand what's going to happen next, what we need from them to win their case. And to be quite honest, I loved it because I'm a newbie and I find the joy in like all this new stuff that I do, but I could tell everyone else in that office was so tired of it. And so they're probably really grateful that I had this like fresh perspective that I wasn't like driving her away. But at the same time, after about eight hours of doing that, I was exhausted and I realized, Oh, this is why they're so tired because they've been doing this for months. So, with all that in mind, I just think, okay, there's all these things that I don't learn in law school and I learn at work. And it is a nice break from school because there's so much more than school out there. And I can be so burdened by the amount of work that we have to do at school and the readings. But in reality, like, I'm never going to be able to be at home as much as I am during while I'm in school. I'm never going to be able to spend as much time with my dog at home as I do when I'm in school. So when I go back to work and I go back to the life that I had prior to law school, those are the things that I'll miss. And it won't be the times that I like stayed up all night, but I will probably find the joy in that because you look back and you think, hell yeah, I did that. You know, I worked and I went to school. So I just try to keep all that in mind, you know, just with everything, because 
I mean, I did, I wrote my first pleading and that's super exciting, but that isn't what stuck out to me over the past month of what I've done that has made me feel like I learned something, you know, I was really scared to do it. I will admit that to you guys, but, um, it went well and you know, a lot of the facts were already down there. So that's a a plus, right? But like I said, people work on different timeframes and you just got to keep that in mind. And, you know, you learn a lot. I also think that when you guys are at your first job or like your first firm job, you got to realize like it, like you said, you have moments where you're like sitting there and you're like, oh, like, you know, I could be doing this or this or this, or maybe you feel like sometimes you're not doing the most interesting things. Right. But like, and also you said, you know, how some attorneys, like they just are tired of what, you know, the certain aspects of the law. I do think that moving forward, like us as practicing attorneys, one day we can take all the things that we've learned at these firms that we maybe don't love and make sure they don't happen at our firms, right? Or put in procedures. So like those certain things, like it doesn't end up being a burden to like talk to, like you, if you have certain procedures and I don't know, like there's all this kind of stuff that goes with firms in general that so many of these things can be remediated, right? By just like running your firm in certain ways. And I think everybody sees that with their firms that they work for that like little issues here and there that could make it better. And just take note of those things if you ever want to open your own. For sure. And I mean, this is chalked up a lot to company culture and firm culture, which is really important. And when you have your own firm, you can instill certain values. And whether that be customer service centric or, you know, I don't even know what it would be for law firms because I haven't been around that many. But, you know, you have these different themes that you might have for your firm. And that is what you teach your employees and you basically drink the Kool-Aid, right? Culture is important. And I think that culture can shape positively and negatively, right? With that being said, earlier this week, we posted a story from a listener about some comments that a professor made to her. And I think it has everything to do with the culture at these schools that they have. And it's negative and it's pessimistic and it's hurtful to students. And that's the whole reason we wanted to even bring it up and, you know, bring light to it because we know it's happening in other schools. So many of you guys validated that. And we don't really know how to change it, but we want to. So Samantha's going to tell you what it said. Okay, so just I'm just going to read out some of the messages that were in this long message. If you want to go see it, it's under our highlights in our Instagram story. So um, we get a text and it's saying like some fun quotes from a professor um, and how he introduced the class this morning on the first day. And these are just some of the quotes that she took out from that class. Quote, I will go after you. You can never win with me. I will not be modeling behavior of good, respectful, civil discourse. You should feel bad about yourself if you waste the class's time. Sometimes I'm going to really try and make you feel guilty about what you said. I will try to pick a fight with you and be condescending. You have to toughen up. And then there was a few other ones that we're just not going to read. 
um, because like privacy reasons. But basically, we shared that and we asked you guys, has anyone else experienced this? And a surprising amount of you said yes. Now, I've never experienced anything to that extent, like those exact comments, but I've definitely had experiences at our school where we have professors, you know, talk bad about other professors where they say like, oh, if you had this professor, like good luck passing the bar because like, you know, they weren't that great. We also had a professor say like, you know, oh, well, some of you guys are going to be lawyers one day kind of insinuating like, oh, not every single one of you sitting here is going to be. And even though those are not the end of the world kind of comments, when you're a student and you're already feeling like imposter syndrome, you know, anxiety, all the things that come with being a student and you have the person that you're paying or taking out loans for to teach you the law is basically telling you that why are you even here? It doesn't make things any easier, right? And we had a few of you guys message. I mean, you guys shared some really heartbreaking like interactions with professors and like other people and faculty and it's it's just really discouraging and I we don't condone that and we would really like for you guys to speak up if you do have professors that are talking like that to you guys cuz it's just not okay. And we know it's probably not happening to just you. And the reason that we encourage you to speak up about it is because there's power in numbers. If there's if your professor is doing it to you, they're most likely doing it to other students or have done it to other students. And a lot of professors are protected by tenure, but they're not protected from a civil suit. We all know that. So as much as I hate to say it, sometimes threatening things or sometimes the squeaky will gets, not sometimes, definitely this, the squeaky will gets the grease. So going in there and saying something about it will potentially help your case, right? But at the same time, no one wants to tell someone that they suck at their job. So it's really hard to, you know, get the cojones to want to go in there and like tell on someone basically. So I totally understand like this in-between feeling of being, you know, ridiculed in the middle of class or feeling like you're not getting your money's worth. And then also having a professor that's protected on the other side that you want to see some kind of action done to. And I think it's just so like sad how many professors will say things like you're wasting the class's time or cut you off in the middle of class or you know, ridicule you in front of everyone because you're not sure enough of your answer. And I know we've had that happen to us. I think it just points to the hazing culture that is law school. So I guess the whole thing that I want to call attention is this. Like sororities and fraternities, okay? We always knew that they hazed, like all until basically the 2000s, you know, maybe even like 2010. We knew that there was hazing, just like there is in law school. And it wasn't until enough people said no that it changed. And over time, sororities, at least, (laughs) have really made a conscious effort to stop hazing and around schools in general. So I kind of imagine that same 
situation happening here that more and more of us call attention to this bad behavior and more and more schools write it in their policy that it's inappropriate. I also think that it's kind of, I mean, law school is like the culture of law school is known. It's just known to be hard, right? Like you go on edgy T14s, everyone's complaining about how sucky and hard and terrible and how they want to just off themselves because it's so hard. Everyone's always negative and it can feel like that. Right. But I do think that almost like when we do get treated like this at school, like I think sometimes we're just being way too casual about it. Mm -hmm. And I think people just expect it to happen now. You just expect to get ridiculed or your teachers can just say this kind of stuff. And we just joke about it. And it sh- we shouldn't have to joke about literally being told you're not good enough to be in law school when you pay a lot of money to be there and you got a spot there. So you deserve to be there in the first place. Like, I don't think that we should be taking it as lightly and like joking about it and like letting the teacher just get away with it, you know? Yeah. There's definitely a difference between joking about it to suppress the feelings and joking about it to kind of ease the pain. Right. Like I think that we've gotten to the point where we're suppressing it and we're ignoring it and we're being casual about it and we're laughing it off in the worst way possible because I think so many of us are angry because of it. But there's a lot of people that are really hurting guys and like literally getting bullied by their professors and then expecting to keep quiet about it. And I mean, mental health is already like, we can't talk enough about mental health in law school and how you get affected mentally by being in law school. And I can only imagine if I had a professor tell me some of the stuff that you guys were telling us that they're telling you, like I would not be okay. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why we just wanted to validate you guys because so many of you guys were like, what the heck? Like so many pre-law students were trying to figure out where that was, where that happened at. And just, I'm going to be honest with you guys. We can't tell you. We uh, want to keep our listeners' information private, and there's easy ways to trace all that back to who that was. And we don't, and I mean, the fact that we even have to keep it private so that we don't want that person to get in trouble is like mind blowing to me because we should all be like standing with pitchforks at this professor's door saying like, quit being a butthole, you know, but that's not the way this works. And maybe after we get out of law school and maybe once we continue this and grow the awareness of mental health in the profession and how it ties back to the hazing culture in law school that we can truly make a difference. But this is the first step and we want you guys to help us, you know, recognize it, tell people that, you know, whenever they're crying after class because the professor just made them feel like crap, go up to them and tell them that they're actually totally okay and that they're still meant to be there and that you validate their feelings, you know, stuff like that. And at the end of the day, like, We just have to be the people, like whoever's listening, whoever follows us on Instagram, like you guys are going to be the people who change the law school culture because we can't just do it with a few people. Like you can't just be the few people that tell on your, not tell on, you know, like, I mean, some, I don't know. That's the thing too, though. We shouldn't be afraid to have to tell on people because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us because we, exactly. And which is scary too, because there have been times when, I have friends who want to go to administration about things, but you literally can't because you're you staying at that school like that goes and 
something can happen to that if you tell like and it, it, a well, lot of these the fear at least yeah. right like it's the fear that someone's gonna find out it's gonna be on your record you know it's a small cold um, it's a small environment that we live in in the legal environment everyone says it's so small you're afraid that you just burned a bridge someone's gonna find out la 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 all these things that go through your mind that deter you from wanting to do what is right and what is right for more than just you and it, it's really hard and I totally get it, you guys. Like, it happens at our own school. I didn't even know that until we posted about this. So it's mind blowing to me. And I just, I don't want to just let it sweep under the rug. That's not us. That's not my personality. And that's sure as hell not the way I want to be as a lawyer. And it doesn't happen at only certain schools. We had messages from people at top 50 schools, bottom schools, top 10 schools, every single school that you could imagine. Like, there's no one that's safe from this. I mean, of course, some schools just have professors that are just not yeah, going to be like that. And maybe some schools have a culture to hire professors like that, now that I'm thinking about it, mm-hmm. because maybe some schools are worse about it. So when you're doing your research... You know where our Facebook group is. You get on there. You ask anybody, hey, did you go visit Lala School or do you go here? What's the culture like? That's what the Facebook group's for is to help us understand what's going on around there because a lot of us go to different states to go to school. We don't know people in that area. And also a lot of you, like Haley said, we're messaging like, what school is that? Like, I don't want to go there. Like, trust me, we don't want you to go to schools like this either. And like I said, we have to be private about it. We would never want any of you guys to feel hesitant about reaching out to us because we won't keep it private. Like we will, because we want you guys to come to us and we want to shed light on things that no one wants to talk about. So the Facebook group is probably the best place where you can get um, insight on a lot of these schools from people who actually go there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And who, who would be more open to talk about it and maybe private message you stories or, you know, things like that. Keep it a little more private so that people can't basically screenshot stuff and use it against you because sadly that is what happens. So just keep that in mind and know that that's why we couldn't disclose that. It wasn't to hurt anyone's feelings or, you know, keeping a secret or anything like that. It's just for confidentiality purposes specifically. And on that note, y'all, because we are pinky promising LWS, like pinky promise that Mm -hmm. we will never expose you guys. I really would appreciate if you guys would send some love stories, like law school love stories. So this is the last week that we're going to take entries and we have a bunch, but we just want to have like a ton of them because we want it to be a really fun episode. We want you guys to laugh and cry and all the fun things with us. So and we have a little bit of everything so far. So just whatever happened, happened, send it to us. We'll keep it anything. And, you know. We want it juicy, just saying. (laughs) We do love tea. (laughs) Yes, we do. Um, And then also next week, we have a very special episode for all of you guys who have been asking about IP law. Well, it's finally here. You're going to get to hear about what IP is like, what a day in the life of an IP lawyer in New York City is like, and how to have a family if you're doing IP law because what? a lot of people are like big law IP New York City Women can I there? even have yeah, a family? What? What? Well, maybe you can. Well, you'll find out next week. So yeah, guys, follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. You can get all the good details there, and make sure to DM us your Valentine's Day love stories. 
ASAP. And like I said, speak up. Don't let anyone bully you. Be safe. Stay healthy. Apply to jobs. And yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Yes, guys. Love you. Bye. Bye.